ultimately, data is useless unless you apply it for insight. What's the point of capturing it if you're not going to leverage it? Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Today, the Data Chief Executive Producer, Ian Faison, sits down with ThoughtSpot Chief Data Strategy Officer, Cindy Howson, to discuss how she got her start in technology, CIOs versus CDOs, and what the title of Chief Data Officer means. They discuss some of the barriers that CDOs are facing and why we're launching this podcast. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for you to use search and AI to analyze your company's data, lightning fast. Business people at companies like Walmart, Hulu, and 7-Eleven use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can too. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Welcome to the very first exploration of the first episode of The Data Chief. And my special guest, the interviewing the interviewer, the new host of The Data Chief, Cindy, what's going on? Ian, a lot. <laughs> I am really excited to talk to you today. And we're going to get into a little bit about your backgrounds. We're going to talk CIOs versus CDOs. What is this new title of chief data officer even mean? What are some of the barriers that CDOs are facing? And why we're launching this podcast in the first place, plus a little bit about dogs, cats, and footballs. Before we get into that, Cindy, tell us how you got into technology in the first place. Way back when, I was an aspiring writer and a lousy typist, and local area networks were just coming to being. And I know some of you don't even remember that time. But the local area network at University of Maryland kept crashing. And I'll be damned if I'm going to retype 25 pages of a paper or a creative assignment. So I was determined to recover any lost documents. And that kind of got me into technology. That's a great story. Fellow Terrapins were, were very proud, I'm sure. Yes, exactly. So flash forward to today. Tell me about your role at ThoughtSpot. So my role at ThoughtSpot is to be our customer's strategic advisor on whatever is holding them back on digital transformation or the aspiration to become data-driven. And sometimes I think the industry pays too much attention to technology, and yet we know to be successful, you have to pay attention to culture, people change management, the data architecture, power and politics even, because who owns this area is also changing. Yeah, I, it's such a great point. And I think a lot of times when we talk to C-level leaders, there's those threads that each of them have, whether you're a CMO, a CIO, a CDO, whatever it is, there's some responsibility to the board, to the CEO, to building a team, to that teamwork aspect. It's not all just the tech, but you know, for chief data officers and data professionals, there is so much tech and it's so new and it's so exciting. Why are you so excited about this area? Because I do believe that data is the 
thing that can empower an organization to better know their customers and to provide the best personalized customer experience. And in a digital world, you, you really, without data, you don't know who your customer is anymore. A lot of times it's via clicks, virtual visits. If we take financial services, banking, there's very few banks. Maybe I should ask you, Ian, when's the last time you actually went into a bank and oh, spoke to a teller? This is great. I actually just did recently because I have two banks and one of them couldn't do a wire transfer over a certain amount online. And I had to go to a physical bank and it was a huge pain. Right, right. So, so now you know what that experience is like. But if we think about the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, the bank knew all their clients. Without data now, you may have hunches about who your customers are, but data is what really gives you the perspective of who your customers are, what are the top selling products and optimizing everything. I talk a lot about certain industries, but even in, in the public sector, I look at how data is helping improve student outcomes or getting loans to the right people, things like this. So this excites me. Yeah. And I think, you know, and obviously, you know, thoughts about being a pioneer and all of this, you know, you came to this company, you, you could have done anything in the world and yet you're here. Why were you so excited to join this company? For sure, the power of search to bring data to the actual business person or the ultimate decision maker or consumer of data. I just think this is the way to get to the business person. And I think back in the mid nineties, my first user of data, Bob. So Bob had a simple question, or what I think should have been a simple question. This was when we were working at Dow Chemical, and he just wanted to know asset utilization in the plants. And the plants are pretty important. He actually, to drive home the point of how important this was, he had me drive around some of our manufacturing facilities in Ternusen, Holland. I did think it was a bit irresponsible of Bob to be letting me drive around the plant, but there you go. This was the 90s. Um, you had your hard hat on, you had everything, you had your suit on. I did have all of this in my car, yes. <laughs> and really, to be able to answer this question, it, it took us weeks to be able to get the product codes together and answer this. Bob was thrilled because before he really couldn't easily get an answer to this question of what is my asset utilization? So I think of Bob and I look at the waves in disruption over time. And we had, if I think of products like business objects and Cognos, that was the first wave of disruption to bring data, but really it helped the IT professionals more than anyone else. And I look at the next wave of disruption, visual-based data discovery, products like Power BI, Tableau, Spotfire, Click. These all helped enable the power user, the business analyst, the data analyst, and it would help somebody like me get to answers faster for somebody like Bob, but it never let Bob ask his own questions. And I look at the power of search that ThoughtSpot produces. Bob can ask his own questions at a very granular level of detail, and it would let 
a business analyst, a data analyst work on the higher value things, the predictive analytics, the advanced analytics, or even unleashing other troves of data that companies cannot get to. And so this is what attracted me to ThoughtSpot as a technology. But beyond that, the things I look for in a company is culture. And ThoughtSpot has a culture of selfless excellence. They also created this role to me to work on the things with customers that I care most about, helping them unlock the power of data. But two other passions I have in the industry is around improving diversity. And that's not just women in tech. It's also ethnic minorities. So we have some programs in place there and also around data for good. And to me, that initiative cuts across any single provider. In those kind of early discussions when you were thinking of joining, that you kind of just knew that this like, wow, this feels right? No. And there were no early discussions. As I've said to people, don't ever sit down with our chairman and one of our co-founders, <laughs> Ajit Singh, and have a cup of coffee with him unless you're prepared to make a life-altering decision. <laughs> Really, he he's very decisive, and I would say it was a two-week process. Like I just said, I think I'm probably going to leave Gartner. If this is of interest, we should talk. And we met for coffee, and two weeks later, here I am. The rest is history. Yes. So in addition to having a wonderful Twitter handle, tell me a little bit about what BI scorecard was what was your role? And ultimately, how did you get such a good Twitter handle? Yes, you think it's a good Twitter handle. I have a lot of Twitter followers, yes. But Ajit doesn't like my Twitter handle because BI as a term is, in a way, declining. Yeah, that's true. And it's, de- but I, how do I keep my followers without yeah, starting a new handle? At the real Cindy <laughs> So, it, so BI scorecard started, I forget when now, 2001, 2002. And really what I did, think of it as like the consumer reports, but for BI tools. So at the time in early 2000, I was getting a lot of questions. What are the differences between business objects and Cognos? And then it became, what are the differences between Click and Spotfire? and business objects and Cognos and MicroStrategy. And organizations would ask me, can you help us pick the best BI tool? And so that's where the name BI Scorecard came from. And it also, the name is not my name because it's never about me. <laughs> it's always about what are you trying to do with this technology? And so you spent 14 years doing BI Scorecard, you know, another you know, four plus as a VPA gardener. It seems like you've been in this industry and kind of like really ingrained in the industry for so long, being able to see kind of everything that's that's been happening. What are the big, you know, sweeping changes that you've seen in the past 20 years? The biggest change, Ian, is the pace of change. So when I started in the industry, you could make a software investment and it had a good shelf life, let's say, of 10 years easily. And even when I started evaluating the technology providers, some only had a new product release every three years. Now with the cloud, 
there's a new release every week, almost continuously. And probably the slowest release cycle of the 20 to 30 vendors I was tracking is probably quarterly. So the pace of change has accelerated. The magnitude of the innovation has also accelerated. So these are not just incremental feature releases. These are profound new ways of working. And so if I look at time to maturity for these big three waves of disruption, the first wave, it was about 10 years to maturity. The second wave was maybe five, seven years to maturity. This latest wave of search and AI-driven insights Gartner officially predicted that it's two to five years to reach maturity, but I would actually qualify that and say in the best-in-class organizations, the innovative companies, it's it's already mainstream. Obviously, at the center of this is the CDO. I mean, this is a new job. It's a new role. It's constantly evolving? Does it sit with the CIO? Does it report to the CIO? Does it report to the CTO? Is it its own thing? Like part of the reason why we wanted to create this podcast with y'all is because the role of the CDO is being written right now. And we wanted to help kind of be at the forefront of what are the best practitioners doing right now? You know, not not kind of wait for the book to be written 10 years from now. Let's talk a little bit about the role of the CDO. What do you kind of think that it looks like right now? What are some of the best CDOs doing right now? And then we'll get into what are what are some of the biggest barriers that CDOs are facing? Let's talk about role and job title because people, there's many people in lines of business doing the role of a CDO. And even naming this podcast, we debated what to name it because you can be a data chief, but ultimately you're responsible for consumer analytics or people operations, Mm -hmm. but data is part of your responsibility. And in the last edition of, of my book, Successful Business Intelligence, published in 2013. And and at that time, I was writing about this four-headed, somebody used the analogy of a four-headed monster, Mm -hmm. because we didn't even know what to call the role. Do we call it chief data officer, chief analytics officer? Mm -hmm. And even in the last few weeks, there was a passionate discussion on LinkedIn about, are these two different people even? And I I don't like that concept because ultimately data is useless unless you apply it for insight and business action transformation. What's the point of capturing it if you're not going to leverage it? Some people think the CDO role, and I would say the first wave of CDOs, it was really about getting their data house in order, getting the data in one place, thinking about the consistency of master data, whether it's a common definition of customer or product. And so it was more about guarding that data and getting it together. As that role has matured, For sure, it is about using data for digital transformation and for business impact. I would say if the CDO cannot evolve to that, then there's no point in having a CDO. You also asked me where they should report. 
the role should report to the CEO because it is about using data for the goals of the overall organization. Many, for power and politics reasons, the roles will start out reporting to the CIO or finance is what we see. And I think what is so exciting about this time is that, as I kind of mentioned, like the rules are being written now. <laughs> there really aren't rules for, you know, how this thing is structured. And it's a great point about choosing the data chief, because whether or not you have, you know, the C in front of your title or not, a lot of whether you're, you know, VP of analytics or, you know, whatever, director of, uh, of data, whatever your kind of role is, a lot of people kind of big company or even smaller companies are in fact the data chief, no matter where you are <laughs> or what you're called, and you have the responsibility anyways. And, you know, as those folks continue to grow and go to the CEO and say, hey, we should have a CDO. Those are important conversations to have. And we'll have a ton of those on this podcast. Do you think that there are specific barriers that CDOs are facing? Yes. Power and politics, I think, is one of the biggest things because the CIO sometimes feels threatened. In fact, there's somebody without the title of CDO, but he has a vision for how data can be used to help his organization. And he shared with me that he's actually afraid of getting fired for how hard he is pushing his CIO to modernize. So I had to tell him <laughs> my advisory sessions or sometimes it's very specific questions. Sometimes I say it's therapy. Sometimes it's executive coaching. But I had to tell him who he really needed to align himself with. And guess what? It's not the CIO. It was actually a new hire. So one of the secrets to more successful organizations that I see is they will bring in a change agent. Mm -hmm. And this new hire is the SVP of innovation. And, and I said, that is who he needs to be aligning himself to because this SVP of innovation gets it. Yeah. And one of the reasons we were just really pumped about making this show is that these conversations that you're having with CDOs, with CIOs, with data professionals that are having in the boardrooms and in all these areas, that some of those conversations will obviously remain private, but some of them need to be brought into light so that we can share these with the world. And like truly one of the things that's exciting about this podcast is that, you know, it's going to go out to, you know, 130 plus countries. That stuff is really exciting. And there's so many lessons that happen. You know, we happen to be sitting in Silicon Valley right now, but there's so many lessons that happen throughout the world that we want to share and evangelize, you know, with our listeners for our listeners that are, you know, everybody's brand new to this. I was going to say for our listeners that are brand new, what are you excited to share with them? What are some of the things that you're excited to, you know, have discussions about on the show? So some of it is what I hope my guests will share. It's their personal journeys mm -hmm. to this role, what makes them tick. But then I hope they will share what has not worked. So their failures. And I think that is a very hard thing for people to talk about. I don't know. What are you going to do here, Ian? Are we going to like guys the, the failure stories? I hope <laughs> no. they're going to share it or they might have to anonymize which company they were working for at a, a particular time. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm picturing this one CDO. He would totally kill me if I named him right now, but he's been a lifelong customer and he's a change agent. And I know that he has left some organizations where he felt he could not make an impact. 
because it was power and politics, wrong technology choices, not good executive buy-in or sponsorship. And so sometimes you have to move on. But I hope that my guests will share what works, but also what has not worked. Cindy, so you spent a ton of your career looking at how data can be used for good. How would you kind of describe this? Is it an initiative? Is it, uh, is it you know, a way of life? What is data for good? Data for good is using data to make the world a better place. It's combining the data with the technology, with the expertise, and making sure that you use data, yeah, to drive profits, but also in a win-win situation for the good of society. So when... We look at some examples of this and how data can really be leveraged for some amazing results. Like one, one that comes to mind is the current pandemic that we're having um, with the virus. Like how can data be used for good in situations like that? Right. When you think about the immediate crisis is care. So do we have the right beds, enough doctors in, in the right places, using data to inform how quickly we provide care. But then beyond that, I, I really think we've got to look at the total world economic impact. People are, once once your health is provided for, then it will be, do we have the jobs? How do we recover business operations? How do we optimize, even in providing the care, the supply chain that we have the medical devices, the test kits in the right place at the right time? And then keeping up with changes in demand, um, operating efficiently, all of that ties together. When one of those things that we've seen a lot of recently is visualizations um, to show and to communicate to masses of people how this all is working. I, I saw a, a wonderful illustration using dots of how people, how infections spread and things like that. Um, and I think that part of the piece of this is like, this is such an incredibly complex situation that being able to help people understand what is going on is like a critical part of not just, you know, synthesizing data, but also communicating it to the masses. It is. And I do think this is where I've never before had my everyday neighbor, my older relatives uh, talking about the need for data, the need for a fact-driven world, and the need to understand it better. What are the variables that impact this by age, by geography, by health background? This is where also as private citizens, over history, you know, trust of data and what you opt in for has had sometimes negative consequences that trust has been lost. But if we think about quality of care, when we opt in data, then maybe sharing certain types of data as it relates to demographics. Where does this come from? How does this impact certain people more than others? I think we have to rethink the needs of individuals, but also that we benefit from better care at the right time in the right place. Yeah. And well, and also there's so many variables that go into something like this that you can't just use, you know, like age demographics, for example, that doesn't paint the whole picture. But as you have richer amounts of data, you know, the the best folks are going to be able to cross cut that and, and do different things. Yes, but we barely even have electronic medical records. 
So it's hard to get that. And this is where data quality changes on a dime. The level of detail provided from different reporting organizations changes frequently. But I also think, or or let's put it this way, my hope once we get past the worst of all of this is we're going to get better at this. And, you know, I'm from the Northeast, a lot of family in New York. After 9-11, the, the U.S. had to look at sharing data across agencies. So I hope that we will get better at this. Some good has to come out of this. Yeah. And so much of what happens, like a great example in an interview that, that we did with Waze was like Waze knew more about the city than the mayor did because they knew exactly what intersections things were happening at, all those sort of things. There's so many times where whether it's governments or whether it's other organizations or nonprofits or whatever could use those insights to change how you know, our cities are shaped to change how like, you know, we live on a day to day basis. And those sort of things are really empowering to think about that we can leverage those things in a way that we never had before. For sure. So what I challenge CDOs or anyone who is responsible for data is to think about what is the their organization's social purpose. Ultimately, you really first and foremost, you have to look after your employees and you have to look at your customers. But if you can also be profitable while also leveraging these things to serve a greater purpose, then that's a win-win for everyone. Do you have any pets? I do have two pets. I have a ragdoll cat. What's a ragdoll cat? <laughs> What's a ragdoll cat? I actually think Taylor Swift posted a picture around her Merry Christmas yeah. video that looked like my cat. <laughs> and as I'm not home, I was thinking, I hope she didn't, we're, I hope my cat's okay. It's a beautiful cat, beautiful cat. So, so cuddly. Um, Mur, we got Mur many years ago at Christmas time. And then we have a new puppy. Ooh. A hundred pound. Bernadoodle, combination Bernie's Mountain <laughs> and Poodle. So I hope you never hear him barking during one of these episodes. You because... might. <laughs> yes. One of the areas that we have seen a huge explosion in data and analytics is in sports. Do you have a favorite sports team? I do. The Green Bay Packers all the way, Ian. Well, I'm an, I'm an Aaron Rodgers fan. Grew up, uh, <laughs> grew up in, uh, in the, in the great Bay area, really like Butte community college is not quite Bay area, but, uh, Aaron Rodgers is a fan favorite. I'm a Cal fan. So I'm with you. So how are you lifelong Packers fan? Well, since my son got me more hooked into football, I grew up in Maryland during the Redskins heyday, uh, Joe Theismann, Joe Gibbs days. But really, we had a friend introduce us to the Packers when my son was quite young and he studied, ate, slept, drank the Packers. So it's very infectious. And I really like that it's also, it's owned, it's owned around town. It's, um, you know, not any one owner. Families own it. We've got stock in the Packers. Okay, so I'm not going to ask you for any forward-looking predictions here, but my only prediction is, are you going to wear your cheese head during all of your podcast interviews? 
Uh, well, I might create a few um, resistant guests on the show, but if they are Packers fans, yes, I think I should do that. Mandatory for mandatory for everybody. Um, any uh, any insights that you're seeing, or any cool practical applications of uh, of data in the NFL or in football or sports oh. that you've seen? Yeah, of every sport, every sport is becoming data driven. Um, using it for player performance, player safety, concussions. I've got a, a son who plays football, so that matters. But then also ticket sales, um, even distance, distance between players, sensors in shirts and helmets, I think is really cool. We also see it with recruiting. So the good news is Matt LaFleur, under his coaching, the Packers use data as part of the draft. Sorry, Giants, Giants coach or, or owner, somebody was using an abacus to make fun of data and analytics. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, notorious, uh, <laughs> notorious Giants fans, not, uh, not tech savvy, uh, or maybe the fans are, but they're, <laughs> oh yeah, the fans are dying. The, the, the leadership, the GM. Uh, mm-hmm. leadership isn't awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure my, uh, my formerly Oakland Raiders, uh, will have something to say. <laughs> say this year um now that they now that they left my beautiful hometown cindy great chatting with you obviously we're thrilled to uh be partners on this journey to create the data chief uh with you and with thoughtspot and uh excited to interview the interviewer so so happy that uh we're going to be doing these episodes together in the future and uh and i think our audience is going to love talking to data professionals because uh they're great thank you ian Excited to get this launched, and we have a great series of speakers lined up for people. You'll be inspired by them as much as I have been. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about Cindy and what lies ahead for our CDOs, check out thedatachief.com. Questions or comments about the episode? Continue the conversation by hitting up Cindy on Twitter at BI Scorecard. We'll catch you back here next week for an interview with Stefan Harris, CDO of VMware. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot. Searching through your company's data for insights doesn't have to be complicated. ThoughtSpot makes it easy. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.